and welcome to another episode of Wolf Disney. I'm Natalie. And I'm Sarah. And we are two sisters who grew up um, with very little Disney exposure and knowledge to Disney movies. And so now we are watching them um, in chronological order every almost every week um, and talking about them. This is Wolf Disney. Uh, uh, and this week, um, our movie is The Shaggy Dog. Yeah. Oh, man. It's been a couple weeks, so we're out of the podcast uh, routine. So bear with us as we remember how to use our voices um, and our brains and our research skills. Yeah. And our movie watching skills. Yeah. I watched this movie about a week and a half ago, so... Yeah. Well, I'd like to start by, before we do our, our uh, warm-up or whatever it's called, um, I would like to start just by, I have a small complaint with Disney Plus. Oh, okay. So you and Natalie and I share a profile on our friend Allison's account. Shout out to Allison. Thanks, Allison. Um, and so that means that if we're both watching this movie and if we watch it, if Natalie watches it in the same way I do, which is I have to watch it in like 20 minute increments and then go do something. Um, not how I watch them. Oh, okay. Well, um, when I logged on yesterday to watch it, it showed that you had watched three quarters of it. And Disney plus has no start over from the beginning button. Yeah. I've noticed like, that. They can't figure that out. It's not like they're the first streaming service. Yeah. Um, I mean, I imagine, yeah, maybe they never have had people like us using it. It's only just like parents who are putting their kids in front of the TV until they fall asleep or something. And so, yeah, but you know that there are also kids who are like, every day I have to watch Frozen and every day I have to watch it from the beginning. And so like, what if they watched it and then they had to stop to go to like soccer practice or something. And then the next day they're like, I want to watch it from the beginning. And then that parent has to rewind all the way to the beginning. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world compared to like world hunger and things right. but um i just it seems strange that disney cannot figure this out yeah that's my disney complaint well everybody tweet at disney plus i'm assuming they have a twitter account um and tell them who knows they might not given how disappointed i am in their their technology right now i mean try your best to find them if you can't i mean figure out who works for them find their personal twitter accounts Tweet at them demanding a um, start over. Start the beginning. Yeah. Let's make it happen, folks. Our wide uh, Wolf Disney fan base. Mm -hmm. Do you have an icebreaker? Um, yeah, I don't know if you like this this one here, Natalie, but here's, here's the icebreaker I came up with. Um, if you could change into any animal, what animal would you change into and why? Um, okay. Do you already have one? No. Not this at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, a dog has a pretty good gig. Yeah. I'm also like, and the shaggy dog, it gets tricky because he's changing into somebody's pet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a little confusing for the humans around. Well, and you wouldn't want to change into like a street dog 
Why not? Well, like, I mean, I know we saw Lady and the Tramp and that one dog had street smarts, but um, dogs that don't have owners don't always have great lives. Yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, I would change into a prairie dog. Why do you say that? Um, I saw a lot of prairie dogs while I was in Oklahoma a month ago, and I still think about them pretty regularly. They have pretty cool lives. They just eat and dig and look around and bark. Do they really bark? Yeah. Is it like, like a little tiny dog bark? Um, yeah, I would say it's closer to like a miniature schnauzer rather than a chihuahua. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm just kidding. They, uh, oh. <laughs> really? I, in my head, I could, t- I could tell the difference. No, it's more of like a, it's a, it's a rodent. A chihuahua bark is more high pitched and a mini schnauzer is more robust. Yes. It okay. has a depth to it. Regardless, the prairie dogs are not dogs. Um, they, they just kind of, kind of like a, a yell, like a, a, a rodent chirp situation. Anyway, I guess I would be a prairie dog, although that gets tricky because in the shaggy dog, he kind of uh, goes back and forth without control, and it would not be cool uh, to be in my burrow um, and then transform back into a human. You'd be stuck in a burrow. That'd be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, uh, I had questions about clothing in the shaggy dog sure um like what happens here's i mean here's a plot hole okay um it has to be either the clothes aren't an issue at all or they are an issue um the plot hole is that you don't understand shape shifting here no no hold on i'm not done um so there are times when he like when he when they're at the dance and he turns into the dog and then later on when he turns back into a human and he's wearing a suit and there's not an issue at all. Why though the first time that he turns into a dog when he goes to his bedroom he puts on pajamas. Yeah, I didn't I didn't understand why he bothered him putting on pajamas. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a plot hole that I found. I was like, hmm, I don't quite understand what the rules are here. You're right. I don't understand the rules of shape-shifting, um, as I've never done it or studied it. That was my original idea for what to research for this episode, and I could not follow it, so I, it was too broad of a topic. Um, it also felt very similar to when I came back and reported on fairies, and that was just a difficult thing to navigate for us, so I decided shape-shifting probably wasn't the direction we needed to go in on our first week back after a good bit. I, I think that's a good call because <laughs> the fairies thing, while interesting, was a bit of an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what animal would you be? Did you choose a dog? I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of like animals. Like I, I already know I'm going to get a text from Hope that's like, love the episode. Of course, Sarah chose a predictable house dog. Wow. Hope thinks she knows me so well. Okay, then. I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking like, like tortoises live for a really long time. So like maybe I'd want to be something that's like, that sees, you know, a lot of world history throughout time, but then it'd be like only within your like 
yard because you are a tortoise and you don't typically get around the world. Right. Um, so, um, God, now that you said that, I feel like I can't pick a dog. Um, you could be a cat. I don't want to be a cat because I'm allergic. I don't want to be allergic to myself. Um, but like, maybe like a bird would be fun. Um, because you could fly. I thought about bird, but what if you turn into a human while you're in the air? Oh, <laughs> did not think about that. Oh, man. Yeah, that also cuts out any sea creatures because I was thinking about a dolphin and I don't want to be a human and like be way far away from land. Yeah. The manatee, they don't go very far. They do get hit by speedboats. Um, they do. You can, you can look at their scars. Oh, man. I am literally looking outside right now <laughs> hoping to see an animal. <laughs> which would be a squirrel or a dog. Uh, okay, let me think. Um, I would want to be some kind of animal that um, probably uh, doesn't have to do a lot of work um, and maybe lives with other animals like it, like a, like a pack animal. Um, uh, I don't want to have to be afraid of like <laughs> of predators. Okay. So you want to be a predator? Yeah, I think I'd probably want to be a predator, but like a nice predator. I don't want other animals to be afraid of me. Okay. Maybe, oh, maybe like a wild pony. Okay. I'll be a wild pony. Do you live on the beach and you have fun? I'm going to say the beach kind. Yeah, the beach kind. And then you just swim from like ocean to ocean. Or uh, that's not right. From island to island. Yeah. <laughs> and And it doesn't matter if I turn into a human because the islands are that far apart. Ooh, or those wild pigs that live on those islands as well. Oh, pigs are really smart, actually. Um, well, cool. Glad we could do that. Thanks for having me, Yeah, I feel like after, you know, a million years away, the ice has been broken. It was, it was like the ice age, and we were, whatever, stopped the ice age from happening. The sun. The sun! I researched a whole bunch of stuff because it's been a long time and I felt like we needed to really lure our listeners back in with a attention grabbing episode. Okay. So if I've researched something that you're talking about, I will interrupt you and say, I researched that and, and we can pause and keep going. Okay. Um, so the Shaggy Dog came out in 1959 um, it was Disney's first live action comedy. Um, it was the most profitable, profitable film for Disney at the time. Um, and it must have been all those really great um, special effects. Yep. Um, and there is a, a sequel made in 1976, the Shaggy DA, District Attorney. Is it the same people? No. Like Willby grows up and becomes a lawyer? Okay. And then 2006, uh, Disney did another uh, new version of the Shaggy Dog with Tim Allen, which I remember, kind of. I don't think I saw that. I don't know that I saw it, but I remember it existing. I was in college, so I really don't think I would have watched that. Well. um, I was really cool in college. Gotcha. Um, uh, The Shaggy Dog is based on the 1923 novel by Felix Salton. I did research on that. 
called the Hound of Florence. What do you know about it, Sarah? All right. Um, so yes, so it was a novel written in 1923, um, and it takes place in the 18th century in Austria and Italy. And it's about a teenager, teenage boy named Lucas Grassi. Um, both of his parents are dead and he is very poor. He's living in poverty. Um, and he longs for his native Italy um, because he would like to study art in Florence. By magic, his wish is granted, but every other day he must take the form of a dog named Cambyses. Um, and this dog belongs to the Archduke Ludwig, Ludwig, I guess. So every day he changes between human and dog form every single day. Um, and he travels from Vienna to Florence along with the Archduke's troops. Um, and he has to lead a unique double life. Um, there are two different endings of this book. The German language version ends with, um, hold on, sorry. The, uh, the German language version ends in tragedy. The Archduke stabs the dog to death with a dagger. Wow. Killing, killing Lucas and his body is disposed of. So that's the first one. Um, and surprisingly, unsurprisingly in English, they were like, nah. <laughs> uh, so in the English translation, they add six more pages in which I guess he still gets stabbed, but he survives, gets medication, and is united with, um, this is the courtesan, but I don't know, I don't remember reading about a courtesan anywhere. Um, just currently, it is not known if the alternate ending is, was authorized. Wow. Um, this is all from Wikipedia, um, but there's a background to the story in Wikipedia. And the very first sentence um, made my eyebrows go up and go, huh. Um, the first sentence says, the book has some overtly autobiographical background. Uh, like uh, some part of that has to do with Felix Sultan's life. Yeah. Is it that he likes Italy? <laughs> no. Uh, so in the 1890s, he was a journalist and he was friends and a confidant to um, the Austrian Archduke, Leopold Ferdinand. Um, but the first time I read that, I was like, uh, the author also turned into a dog every other day and traveled to Vienna and Florence. Um, but yes, that was... Um, yeah, that is a little bit about the book. And did he write another book? Um, okay, so Felix Salton also wrote Bambi. Really? Yep, which you also did research on. I don't know about that. You're right, it's true. You'd think that that would have like been in the first sentence of the Wikipedia page. I'm going to edit this Wikipedia page. Okay. Don't do it now, please. Do it later. No, do it now. But like, that should be focused, featured, should be featured. Okay. Sorry. Allergies. Okay. Go back to your thing. All right. Um, the, um, a Disney producer named Bill Walsh claimed um, that the Shaggy Dog was a direct inspiration for the TV show My Three Sons. 
Yeah, which also starred Fred McMurray, right? Did you argue that I had the same kids, same dog, and same Fred McMurray? Well, not three sons, though. Was Buzz one of the sons? No, like, I don't think he means, like, actors. I think he just means, like, the same, like, character, like, yeah, the same kind of family structure. Family dynamics. Um, dialogue was written to match the dog's mouth movements. Um, and if he wasn't moving his mouth enough, they used beef jerky to um, motivate him. Her, I don't really know much about the dog this time. Look, I was wondering, did you, if you were going to look up if it was that family, the Hickenloopers? I think we would know. Not the Hickenloopers. What are their names? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this movie's success um, was the start to Disney creating a series of what they called gimmick comedies, um, which are just comedies that have these kind of like fantastical supernatural elements um but all revolving around this um like everyday mid-20th century american family life um so that'll happen i think for like the next two decades about of movies um live action movies for disney Uh, i think like they realized that it appealed pretty well and evenly to kids and adults who were with the kids watching the movie yeah that's my research on Shaggy Dog. That's all you did? I mean, I did I did another project, but... You, you said, I researched something I don't think you would have researched. Yeah. And I probably would have thought to have researched the movie. So I was going to say, not, not a lot of initiative on your part there, Natalie. But What else did you find out? Um, you know, um, I looked up a couple of things. I, I looked up... I mean, do we want to just start by going through the movie again, or? Well, I looked up the Bratislavian Sheepdog. Oh, yeah. Which is the type of dog that um, Chiffon is. Isn't it a made-up breed? Well, you know, I Googled it, and um, and it, I was directed to the Slavinsky Kuvak. It is from the Slovakian mountains and um, Bratislava is the capital of Slovakia, I think. Um, it's definitely where a portion of Eurotrip takes place. Um, I think Eurotrip. Um, but um, yeah, so they are, their breed characteristics conform in type with those of a mountain dog, a firm constitution, impressive appearance and a thick white coat, um, lively temperament and is vigilant, fearless and alert. Um, he, uh, is a big dog. The thing is like, I'm going to just send this to you, Natalie. Um, I don't know that this dog looks at all like the shaggy dog. Well, because the shaggy dog in the movie is an English sheep dog. Right. Okay. That's what I thought. Like, when I when they said that at the beginning of the movie, they're like, "Oh, it's a Bratislavian sheepdog." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Definitely thought that was an old English sheepdog. Um, so I don't know if maybe that's the type of dog it was in the Hound of Baskervilles or whatever we just talked about. The Hound of Fishersville, what was uh-huh. it? Florence. The, the Hound of Florence. Florence. 
you know, maybe that's the type of, maybe it was a Slavinsky Kuvac, but I mean, I think that would still be kind of weird. Um, anyways, um, this dog looks like a retriever to me. Yep, that looks like a retriever. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not sure where they came up with that. I mean, it seems very, like, specific. Um, but anyways, on the AKC website, it says, um, beyond regular weekly grooming, the occasional bath will keep the Slavinsky Kuvac clean and looking his best. Grooming can be a wonderful bonding experience between you and your dog. Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know what dog this is like. Yes, all right. It's grooming and, day. And the human. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the type of dog it is. It is definitely not the dog that is depicted in the movie. Right. Um, I looked up Annette Funicello. Uh-huh. Um, because that's Allison in the movie. Do you do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. The brunette. Um and you know, she was one of the original Mouseketeers um mm-hmm. on Walt Disney. Um Walt Disney discussed discovered her when she was um, 12 years old. She played, she performed the lead role in Swan Lake at the Burbank Starlight Bowl. Um, Her mom actually enrolled her in tap dancing lessons because she was so shy as a kid. Um, But he was there, he was there scouting children for his television show, which is just kind of a creepy thing to say, but I guess it's legit because it's Walt Disney and he did make a show from it. But he contacted her dance school the next day and, um, signed her to be on the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, She became one of the most popular um, Mouseketeers, particularly with the boys. Um, So there's, so there's that. Um, And then she was part of a lot of the beach party, beach movies scenes in the sixties that, that are like beach, beach blanket bingo or whatever is one of them. Um, so then that led me to do a little bit of research on the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. And I just have a website. This is from Mental Floss. And it's just six little known secrets about the Mickey Mouse Club. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things were interesting to me that like, um, because when I was, um, when I was like seven or eight, they launched the new Mickey Mouse Club. And that was, that had, you know, um, Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears, Ryan Gosling. Um, and those kids were like highly talented, like p- perfect picture, perfect kids. Um, but when Walt Disney was doing the original Mickey Mouse Club, he specifically instructed um, the producers not to hire Shirley Temple types, that he wanted just regular looking kids that the, that the audience could identify with. Um, and who did not come with domineering stage mothers. Um, Walt Disney was not willing to deal with that. That's fair. Yeah. I didn't realize that it's like, actually, um, it was every single day the show was, um, which is, seems like a lot of work for kids to be putting into. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is that the contracts that the kids signed weren't exactly fair and exploited a lot of the kids like more so than other um, programs did. They were hired for one year at a time. 
at a flat rate of $185 per week with 13 week options written into the contract. So I think like you could only work for 13 weeks and you could get, you could get fired at any time. Um, um, but one of the best ones was, uh, the kids who got cut fast. So some of the original musketeers that were hired never made it past the promotional photo stage. Dallas Johan or Johan was fired after only two weeks because he cried whenever the cameras were focused on him. It's like, that's not a good sign. Yeah, probably it's not going to work out. Probably go, go somewhere else. Um, Paul Peterson lasted three weeks and then was dismissed when he punched a casting director in the stomach. <laughs> um, and uh, Mickey Rooney and his brother Timmy uh, were fired after wreaking havoc in the studio's paint department. Um, and then Nancy Abadi was uh, let go early because of parent misbehavior. Um, so, yeah. Um, Annette Funicello was one of the most popular ones. Um, this article says, who of course went on to star in a series of beach party films and then was the spokeswoman for Skippy Peanut Butter. Like, oh, of course. <laughs> How could I have forgotten that? Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of, of a dive into the Mickey Mouse Club and, and that Funicello. Cool. Um, that kind of goes into what I, not, I mean, it's, it's related to what I researched. Yeah, so in the Shaggy Dog, we've already seen that boy. Oh, Moochie. Tommy Kirk. Wait, we've seen both those boys, right? Was he Travis in Old Yeller? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So both the boys in Shaggy Dog were the same are the same brothers who are in Old Yeller. All right, so this is um, we've seen these boys already in these movies, and we'll continue to see them. Um, like um, Tommy Kirk, who plays Wilby in this movie, and Travis in Old Yeller. Um, he was also one of the Hardy Boys. He's going to be in Swiss Family Robinson. Um, he is also, I think he is in the Mickey Mouse Club. He might not be. I might be wrong about that. I think I'm wrong about that. Um, anyway, this is, um, I think it's the first movie that we've seen that has like, um, like this adolescent, like there's a few, there's a few points of the plot where boys are like fighting over a girl. Um, and so I found this essay by Jeffrey P. Dennis of Florida Atlantic University um, called The Light in the Forest is Love, Cold War Masculinity and the Disney Adventure Boys. All right. Wow. Yeah. So I read- Are we settling in? Is that, is that yeah. what's happening here? Yeah. Um, so Shaggy Dog has, um, Cold War themes, um, a big part of the plot is that there are these, like, Russian spies, spies plotting against the U.S. government, um, and this, um, yeah. I do, I do, I think at some point I caught them saying something, 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 oh, yeah, down by the missile factory. Yeah. Like, we just, we just call it that. Right, yeah, yeah, um, and um, so this Jeffrey did us um, 
uh, his essays arguing that um, Disney, Walt Disney changed, like there's already this theme in the 20th century um, of these movies that follow these adventure boys, these boys that go on adventures um, and just, yeah. These boys that go on, go on adventures um, and responding to the Cold War, um, Jeffrey Dennis argues that Disney um, uses these boys to communicate like an ideal American masculine capitalist version of what boys should be in the United States. Um, so to start, this is how he introduces the idea of the adventure boy, um, which is seen in the first half of the 20th century. Um, they're boys who adventure together, like the Hardy Boys. Um, there's very rarely any kind of heterosexual romance or friendship. Um, if anything, you see this like deep bond between boys and their friendships, um, which he calls homoromantic. Um, and there's even like fear and hatred of girls. Um, you also see it like between brothers and old yeller um, and a little bit in Shaggy Dog. Um, and so then, um, so that happens for the first half of the 20th century, kind of pre-Disney and early Disney. Um, and so then, uh, what's his name? Then Dennis moves on to talk about the Mickey Mouse Club in that era. Um, there is a, one of the like bits or like many sh shows in the Mickey Mouse Club was Ben and Marty, which was these, which were these two boys that I don't know, go on adventures, they're adventure boys, I guess. Um, and um, in, that, in that show over, I guess, three or four years that it aired, um, it evolves to the point where there is one girl that the two boys fight over um, and like they struggle with their friendship. And then in the end, um, I think some kind of catastrophe happens where one of the boys saves the other one um, and they vow to stay away from girls because their friendship is more important. Um, so that's still continuing, uh, which I think is just interesting because I think it's like where like women are now of like trying to embrace like the female friendship. Um, never, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like I've never considered how important that is for or seemed to have been in the early 20th century for boys to yeah. um, to do that. Um, and so then he moves on to talk about the Disney version of the Adventure Boys. Um, so World War II produced a crisis of masculinity in the United States with capitalist and socialist systems um, being defined in terms of sexual identity. Um, so capitalism was associated with masculinity and heterosexuality, whereas um, socialism was associated with feminine and homosexuality. Um, what? I'm confused. Um, uh, that, that's just new to me. Like that. Genderizing of yeah, um, and just thinking of our political climate today and yeah, yeah. he he quotes some queer theorists um, who said that during during political and economic crises, homosexuality often takes on profound significance as the primary threat to the social order, civilization, and even human existence. The result is the construction of an American heteromasculinity defined not through desire for women, but through a flight from anything that might suggest desire for men. Um, and so that's, this crisis requires a new adventure boy, is what Disney um, and other, I'm assuming, 
producers um, identify. Um, and so this is the like, um, this is Dennis's um, explanation of what this boy has to um, has to display or demonstrate. He must not express even a hint of femininity, but even his masculine traits can't be overdrawn since exaggerated masculinity was a symptom of homosexuality. Thus, he had to be handsome, but not matinee idol pretty, quick-witted, but not an egghead, a leader, but not a martinet, athletic and powerful, but not mountainous, which he just uh, explains that the bodybuilder type, um, they were emblematic of same-sex desire until Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger heterosexualized them during the 1980s. Um, That's crazy. That's yeah. also crazy. Um, he must be friendly with his male peers, but reject the intense same-sex bonds that earlier adventure boys like <clears throat> Mickey Rooney enjoyed. And most importantly, he could not, he could no longer ignore girls or treat them as sisters like the earlier adventure boys did. He could no longer postpone heterosexual desire to adulthood. To avoid speculation that his life trajectory might be headed toward perversion, he must demonstrate longing for girls right now. Um, and so there's like one point in Shaggy Dog where um, they're like getting ready for the dance and his mom like really pushes him to ask a girl to the dance and his dad even pushes back and is like, he's only whatever age, he doesn't need to be around girls yet. Um, and she implies that it's, um, like character building at his age to um, take a girl to the dance. Um, so Which is interesting. All that's really interesting because the actor who plays Wilby is gay. Is gay, yeah. Um, and so he has to like, as an actor, like walk this fine line that you just listed of like, be this, but not this, be this, but not this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, awful. I mean, I don't know that he, like this is obviously an essay that you're writing, that you're reading that's based on like analysis but it's, yeah. I mean, it's not like they're like the handbook too being um were they called the hardy boys or whatever adventure boys adventure boys yeah. um you know they should be this but not this but like he's kind of thrust into this world where he has to play that well so this essay also talks about how like you can look at in this time like he like disney built up this like list of these boy actors that were playing these parts and he says that if you look at the list and like the movies that they were in before Disney got them, a lot of the roles that these boys played tended to be like what would be deemed like the sissy role or something. And so it was almost like Disney making a statement of like, even these boys can turn into um, these like very like aggressively heterosexual, like adventure boy characters. Like anybody can be like this all American boy um, yeah, it's like, is this a good thing he's doing, or is no, it? No, yeah. I don't think so. Okay. No, because I mean, he is like we are supposed to be viewing Willby as the hero. He is kind of an egghead, you yeah. know. He's in his basement doing science experiments and stuff. He does. He doesn't get the girl in the end. Um, no. But like, yeah. No, yeah. And this essay goes a little far with. He talks about Tommy Kirk, who plays Willby. Um, and he makes, which I had not thought of this before, and I don't really know how I feel about it, but he makes um, an uh, argument that um, even him, even like the dog being a sheepdog itself, like he like views the, like the sheepdog 
part of Wilby as like the symbolic um, thing. Like he like talks about the scene where he calls it like a coming out scene when Wilby tells his dad that he's a dog, a sheep dog. And the dad is like, what have I done? Like, where have I gone wrong? Um, and it's like, he, he equates that also to like, um, which I don't know if that's what Disney was thinking when they- I mean, I did think that that was such a weird line. Yeah. Like there, there's no, like, you've just accepted that your son is now a dog. He doesn't say dad of a sheep dog. He says dad of a dog. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so- The dad's uh, reaction there was like bizarre to me. Yes. Yeah. Um, so some of the things that, um, that you, some of the examples of these ideas that happen on um, the shaggy dog are the mom pressuring him to invite a girl to the dance. Um, there's a competition, competition between Buzz and Wilby over the girls. Um, and there's also this like dynamic of, um, Moochie and Wilby's relationship changing, um, especially with the dance scene, like Moochie would be totally fine if Wilby went to the dance with him, um, his older brother, um, and it upsets Moochie that Wilby is also moving into this like new um, level of adolescence. Um, it's like that boy, boy to boy friendship is changing as well um, because of girls. So anyway, um, Disney was reinventing himself as something, this is what, this is a quote from um, Dennis, Disney was reinventing himself as something more than a movie maker or even an artist. He increasingly appeared as a spokesman for American ideals of democracy and freedom. And by 1955, those ideals required a new explicitly girl crazy all American boy. Um, and yeah, it's a character that continues. Um, he brings out many examples in like the late nineties of these adventure movies that are um, boys who are- Was, it, was uh, Huck, Huck Finn on there or Tom Sawyer? They weren't any movies I've heard of. Oh, okay. Um, Cause that was the movie that I've seen. Cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's um, this Cold War masculinity and how it um, impacted Disney's um, trajectory in their movies. That's really interesting, especially just the capitalism being masculine yeah. and socialism being like feminine or effeminate. Like, yeah, so weird. And you know, men came up with that crap. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. I was going to say, I'm curious now to see like what uh, in this era, what um, a movie with a girl or girls as the main characters, how they are portrayed. I would, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the female, if they, if they tried to figure anything like that out. Yeah. But there's always weirder rules. Like I was reading, um, I don't know what I was reading, but it was talking about um, the, the rules that um, television producers had when they were filming married couples in their bedrooms in the 50s on sitcoms. Mm -hmm. And it was that, um, you know, like the joke is that they had um, separate beds all the time. Like Lucy and Ricky had separate beds. And, and I think like the Dick Van Dyke show was maybe the first time that they had, they showed one bed in the bedroom. But even then, if they were, if the show was going to have one bed in the bedroom, the woman had to have one foot on the floor at all times during that scene. 
which is just like, what are we protecting people against? Like, and it's always the woman, you know, like the woman has to, you know, she, the husband can be fully under the covers. She has to be sitting up with one foot on the ground just to, I guess, give the idea of like, but maybe they have a full bed in the other bedroom that she sleeps in at night. Um, yeah, just strange. The fifties were a weird time. Thankfully we're not in weird times anymore. Definitely not. Do we want to go through the movie a little bit? Sure. So the dad doesn't like dogs. He is allergic to dogs. He is a mailman. Okay. Is he allergic? Because he never says he's allergic. Yeah, he does. Or the narrator does. Does the narrator say he's allergic? Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, he does. And then um, this is the Wikipedia page for the shaggy dog in the synopsis of the movie at the end. Um, says he has a change of heart of of his allergies to dogs. That's not true. Yeah, I was like, you can't just change your heart about that. But he's still like at the very end. He's scratching his neck when he's like getting his picture taken with the with the dog at the end. Yeah. He's like scratching his neck. Gotcha. Um, I think it would have been. They didn't have to say that he was allergic. Like. Because at first I was like, why is he so anti-dog? Like, this is crazy. Um, and then he was, I was like, oh, he's a mailman. I guess that makes sense. And he even has a funny line about like my old like Pekingese wounds or on my ankles or like pulsing or something, right. dropping, which is funny. Um, but yeah, really not a fan of dogs to the point where like when, he, when he, the first time he encounters will be as a dog he goes to the closet to grab his shotgun. Yeah. Like, first of all, I have a lot of issues with how easy it was to get a gun out of that hall closet. Mm-hmm. Where like Moochie can get it at one point. He's like, yeah, I have the key to the closet where the shotgun is, is located. Um, I didn't like that very much, but um yeah, he was like, oh, there's a dog here. I'm going to shoot with a shotgun, like, in my house. In a residential neighborhood, he is firing a shotgun th- through, like, a clothesline, um, not caring about any child or, like, housewife that's putting the clothes up just because he hates dogs so much. Yeah, it's a extreme hatred. I would say it's... Um... Maybe I think that's the, the comedic factor for the 50s. Uh, it's just like hyperbole. I get, yes, it must be hyperbole because I was just like, when he grabbed that shotgun, obviously that has, um, it really stayed with me. <laughs> it really affected me. Yeah, clearly. Um, so the beginning, we get to see how much the dad hates dogs. And then we find the two boys in the basement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're building a missile interceptor, which basically is a missile itself. Yeah. And, um, and then it, the rocket goes off and shoots through like three stories worth of house and flies up in the air. Um, the parents take it pretty well. They really do. Like I wrote in all caps, I would have been in so much trouble. Like, yeah. 
Although this does remind me of when you and dad made root beer. Mm -hmm. um, Natalie and dad made homemade root beer and put it in bottles to cure. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how much of this I did. I was in like the second grade or something. I don't think I could be held accountable for this. Uh, they made root beer, put it in bottles, put the bottles in the guest bedroom in the, in the basement. And at dinner one night, we heard these like weird explosions happening <laughs> downstairs. And I think mom was like, what was that? And dad was like, my root beer. <laughs> um, but I said my prom dress because my prom dress was hanging downstairs um, thankfully it was still in the, um, the plastic wrap from, yeah. from like, the store I got it from or something, but like these, these root beer bottles were laying on their side on, on a shelf and like directly pointed at my prom dress. And so the, the bag, the plastic bag that the dress was in, it was just like sticky with root beer. Um, and it was, yeah, failed, failed experiment with Eric Wolf. Um, but it didn't explode and like go through three floors of a house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, root beer is like completely innocent, whereas. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I don't know, as the adult um, taking part in this experiment, like, I shouldn't even known that you shouldn't like leave root beer like that or something. I don't know. Um, accident. <laughs> like when they're so then afterwards they are up on well first of all okay they run outside they watch this missile go up three floors uh the dad the wife says to the dad save something and he runs and like freaks out and saves the coffee pot mm -hmm. and so they're outside and after the missile goes away they say something and <laughs> the dad takes the coffee pot in his hand and like looks at his son and like raises a coffee pot and, her, and his wife is like dear don't <laughs> like is he gonna pour coffee on the kid or like hit him upside the head with a coffee pot yeah I think he was yeah the I very go ahead I yeah I also wondered what his uh plan was with the coffee pot um and his kid it was weird will be the very next scene though the boys are on the roof repairing the hole in the roof. They've, they're tied to the chimney with the rope. They've got rope tied around their waists and the other end of the rope is on the chimney. They're trying, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such, I guess it is funny. Um, but they're having this conversation and um, Moochie says, Pop, Pop sure was sore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, buddy, <laughs> you have a hole all the way through your house now. And then um, Willby responds with, yeah, I know. I always seem to rub him the wrong way. No, yeah, that's, that's not what happened. Like people rub me the wrong way with just like weird things they say or something, you know, like, oh, I don't know. They just rub me the wrong way. Right. If somebody came into my house and busted a hole in my floor and my ceiling, I wouldn't be like, yeah, Jimmy just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> be like he tore up my apartment. Like, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so then in that same scene, they're putting a tarp over the ceiling, over the roof, and this like lump keeps coming up. And so they keep pushing the lump down. And finally, Willby takes a hammer to like hit the lump. And then they realize that it's the dad's head 
coming out. And I'm like, what else could that have been? But the dad is there to tell them that they can't do their science experiments anymore. And he's like, I mean it, like get rid of the animals because bury the chemicals. <laughs> like, thanks, 1950s. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why we can't drink our water anymore. And, you know, <laughs> why everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Not just because of that, but bury the chemicals. Mm, not a good idea. Um, yeah. Anyways. Can we talk about Buzz? Sure. I don't have much to say about him. Uh, every like 10 lines I go, I don't like Buzz. Yeah, I mean, I don't like him either. But now that you've done your your research part, I guess I understand them a little bit better. But like, the there's just a lot of um, questions about relationships in this movie. Of like, yeah, I didn't know if they were friends or enemies or just like fake friends, like frenemies. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure out why, like, are they the only two boys in their town? Like, <laughs> I mean, at one point, Buzz does refer to Willoughby as his best friend, but I feel like it's in a situation where it's, like, beneficial for people to view that relationship that way. Yeah. Um, I just never understood that, like, what that relationship was. Um, yeah, Buzz was, was the worst. Um, Oh, yeah. And then when they go to the museum, it reminded me a lot of our trip to the Woodrow Wilson <laughs> Museum in Stanton. Why? Oh, particularly a certain section of that museum. The basement. Did you forget? Yeah, that? It, was, it was scary, kind of, wasn't it? Yeah, so... It I, was... I, again, I watched this movie two weeks ago, so I'm really just going based off the notes I wrote. Um, and I think that's from the time that I wrote Spooky Movie is all I wrote. Yeah, so they're in the museum and there's like all these um, figures that are dressed up in like kind of some scary ways. And it's really dark, even though it's daylight out. I don't know why the museum would be that dark at that time of day. Yeah. Um, but it reminded me of when you and I went to the Woodrow Wilson Museum and there was another exhibit that you could go to, but like they had sheep throughout the... <laughs> the museum like cut out sheep that were like hey kids what do you think about Woodrow Wilson or something like that um and then it was like hey kids probably don't go down in the basement <laughs> without an adult right and scary it was scary it was their world war one section and like it was it was really creepy it was built like a bunker I think yeah and weren't there like like uh mum not mummies <laughs> that would be really weird um, like people dressed up and stuff, like they're like mannequins, yeah, dressed as soldiers, um, but not like not normal looking mannequins. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've never seen like a mannequin in a museum and have thought that's a that's a well done uh, <laughs> thing that you did here. Um, most of the time, it's gonna have a lot of level of spook. Um, that's yeah. Fair. That's Why fair. don't y'all y'all just um, we'll make a Facebook post. Now um this week and y'all can share pictures from your creepiest museum you've been to i think that'd be a fun interaction yeah if they took pictures why would you not take a picture if you saw something weird we took a picture but i think we did it on snapchat yeah i have a picture of something weird that i saw in oklahoma it was definitely a cursed space all right so i can share that Okay, I'll go back to the Woodrow Wilson Museum because it's down the street. It's technically, I think, a nativity scene, but it's not. 
Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that's not good. Um, so they're in the museum and Wilby's has a little mishap and he winds up at the ring and then he turns into a dog and then he goes back to the professor who is pretty okay with what's happened. Yes. Like very okay. Very okay with uh, a talking dog, a boy turning into a dog. And he said, the first time I looked at you, I said to myself, that boy's a potential shapeshifter. Things I've never said. Yeah. Like, okay, here's my question. He's a professor. This is his uh, area of expertise is like the Borgia family and the weird things that they must with like with the occult and stuff like that. Um, and so maybe he would be inclined to say, oh, that boy is a potential shapeshifter. What would be the equivalent for you and me? <laughs> like, oh, the first time I saw that boy, I thought he'll be a liturgist one day and read scripture. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would probably be the equivalent is recognizing. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I see like um, waiters and stuff. I, if, I, if I see people like walking very um, well and like in a very stable way, I'm like, you could be in marching band. Do you really? I don't say it to them. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you could be in marching band. I know you're 27, but have you ever seen year old? diner worker <laughs> you ever thought about playing the trombone um you're like mr b flat walking around um, watch mr b flat last week so good it's mr b natural anyway continue did i say b flat yeah yeah mr b natural one of my favorite parts was every time Willby was a dog seeing the way um moochie reacted to him yeah where it was like in his head he was like this is my brother but also my brother is a dog and so like when he'd be looking for him he'd be like here boy here will be here boy here will be and then at one point his dad walks up on him and he's he's reading like a comic book and then he's got a book inside the comic book which was a really good gag um and the book was how to train your dog (laughs) it's like it's it's your your brother brother. (laughs) like he can talk to you like You don't. Yeah, I, I think that's around the time that I wrote in my notes. This kid is still cute because um, he was really cute in Old Yeller. Oh yeah, and he, I think he's cuter in this movie. And Old Yeller, he kind of got on my nerves a couple times. Yeah, I, I forgot that you did kind of resent him toward the end. But yeah, but I, I loved Muji in this yeah. movie. <laughs> he gets a dog collar for his brother. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think he's like disappointed the first time that he turns back into a boy. Um, cause he's just really excited to have a dog. Poor kid. I, I don't blame him. Um, one of my big questions was where does the actual dog go every time will be as a dog? Yeah. I think that might be one of those rules of shape shifting. We don't understand. Okay. <laughs> That's what I accepted it as. <laughs> We're just going to chalk everything up to, oh, that much must be an element of shape shifting. That doesn't make sense to us i mean it seems like they could have done another movie of like where that dog went like maybe it went to like scotland in 
the 1400s and you know i don't know anyways oh i <laughs> when they go to the dance i wrote prediction this will not end well will be will turn into a dog and then i wrote he dot 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 will be a dog because <laughs> it's his name yeah that's a good one um I I don't know what point I read this. I don't like to know what was happening in the movie, but I got really annoyed with um, <clears throat> the French girl. Um, oh yeah, not French. Francesca. 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 Um, she's moved into like suburbia in, in the United States, and every time she meets a new person, she just assumes that they're going to speak French, and she like keeps trying every time she meets somebody. And then they don't speak French, like, oh, English. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm just like, you are, I think you're just doing this on purpose. To yeah. Like, to set yourself apart from everybody else in the room, that you're well-traveled and, yeah, anyway. Yeah, she was a little bit pretentious. If yeah. dad were on, he would be going off right now yes. about the French. Um, yeah. And, like, her relationship with her dad is very weird. Like, towards the end, I was like is your dad a bad guy and you didn't know this and like he doesn't like you and so wikipedia alerted me to the fact that he's her adopted dad oh yeah i was like i don't know if i missed that or she wasn't clear but that's not her like blood relative um, okay, that helps yeah and in the book no there was can't be the book because no the um book scholastic in like the 60s scholastic did a book based mm. on the movie the shaggy dog and they changed it in a few ways and one of the ways they changed it was that it was actually her uncle um that she was staying with which i don't know if it makes it better or worse but like it makes it like a little more sense i guess yeah a little more distant um because yeah. i was a little alarmed when they like uh will be is the shaggy dog listening to the dad and his butler um plan their escape with whatever secret thing they had um and they're discussing how to like get rid of or how to like yeah actually get rid of francesca yeah yeah it was it was really weird i was like oh okay i (laughs) yeah i was like is she bad no she's not uh it's just him okay um yeah Going back to the dance that they're at. So the dance has, to me, one of the most comedic moments of the movie. And it's during the Paul Revere dance. Um, But it's when they're doing the the dance. And um, Moochie is at the sandwich bar. And he looks over and notices that his brother is starting to change into a dog again. And at this point, they're, like, moving from person to person in some kind of square dance move or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, Wilby has a paw. Like, he, <laughs> like, it's one thing where he's got, like, like the white scruff and his yeah. nose on his face and his nose is getting brown a little bit longer. But they, like, made him have paws. And he's going from person to person. And, like, I don't care how dark it is. I'm going to feel a paw. Like, but like when that happened I literally gasped out loud even though I knew like I predicted that he would turn into a dog at this, this dance <laughs> I was not ready for it 
um, but I was, I was really exciting. And then Moochie says, you're a lot more fun as a dog than my brother. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, do you know what Moochie is short for? New Chester. Montgomery. Oh. The police ask him, what's your name? He goes, Moochie. I mean, Montgomery, whatever my last name is. Um, yeah. It was a good movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I really think that the dog trainers were really, really good. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, the dog, like, climbs a ladder at one point. Yeah. That was pretty great. And the dog drives. I don't know that the dog is actually driving. Yeah. Well, they did, yeah, there's, like, a chase scene where the shaggy dog will be as the shaggy dog is driving this car, and whenever they show the dog from up front, like, so you can see its face, um, his head is not straight. It's, like, it's how a dog rides in a car, essentially, with their head, like, out the window. Yes. Um, and I just kept being, like, why is Will, why is he doing that? And I had to remind myself that it's a, it's not Will be, like, it's a, this is just a dog actor who's sitting in a car. Yeah. Um, Will yeah, I wondered if it was, like, a human, and then, like, they can't, you can't see the human because his dog is so big, and so the human's actually driving, but then they have this dog right there, and that's what the dog is just doing. Mm. You think that that was, like, a writing thing that they put in? That surely if a dog was driving, he would put his head out the window. No. Oh. No. I mean, I just, in those scenes, I don't think the car is actually moving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, all of, like, like, the big, like, curvy scenes and stuff, like, are from behind. So you could, like, definitely just have a human with, like, a shaggy, like, costume on. Yeah. There were a couple times where I was like, <laughs> that is not a dog. <laughs> at all. But, yeah. I liked this movie a lot. Yeah. Um, um, it got scary. Where? You're gonna do your scary scale? The end with the boat scene. Yeah. She's oh like, yeah, when Francesca's face down in the water. Yes. Yeah, that was a little was graphic. Pinocchio. Yeah, Pinocchio flashbacks right there for sure. Yeah. Do you want to do your scary scale? Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a two. Yeah, I think mine would be similar. It was a little, I mean, it had elements of like, just like what you don't like of like it being stressful, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you like it so much yet, actually. Because there are just like a lot of scenes where he's like transitioning, like at just really, I mean, he never transitions at a convenient moment um, into the dog or out of the dog. Um, um, yeah. I felt stupid when I was, watching the movie and I was like what's with this Russian subplot like isn't this whole movie about a boy that's a dog I don't understand and then halfway through it I was like oh he's got to be a hero <laughs> like it took me way too long to figure out like this is setting the boy up to be the hero to change back into a human yes I was just like I don't know it's the 50s we're gonna throw selfless in the communist act. what the selfless act yeah I didn't catch on to that until much later a little embarrassed to say. Every week we choose our favorite movie of all the ones we've watched. Um, right now, my current favorite, I think, is, is still The Lady and the Tramp, or is still Lady and the Tramp. And 
your favorite? Did you did you move to Sleeping Beauty? I think I might have moved to Sleeping Beauty. You did. So what's your favorite? Is it Sleeping Beauty or is it the Shaggy Dog? That's hard. Because I think we've realized that all of mine are going to be based on comedy. Um, and there were some good comedic moments in this movie. But I think I'm going to stay with Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Because the dog was not a Bratislavian sheepdog. That's what would have. Continuity issues. Gotcha. gotcha. How about you? Um, yeah, I'm, sti- I'm sticking with uh, Lady and the Tramp. Um, there's more dogs in it. That's true. So, um, What's our movie for next week? The next one is Toby Tyler. Okay. Which Mom mentions. Um, and then Pollyanna. Yep. And Swiss Family Robinson. Mm, okay. Yeah. Another adventure movie. Adventure Boys. Yeah. Adventure Boys. Adventure Family. Okay. Um, Next week's Toby Tyler? Yeah, if that's what we want to do. That's fine with me. Okay. I've seen it. You've seen it. I think it has a circus. I don't have any recollection of seeing this, um, but I believe you. I think it's about a circus. Um, Maybe he... It definitely has Moochie in it. And I think he like runs away to join the circus. Hmm. I think I think I'm remembering that correctly. Okay. I will be <laughs> feeling really dumb when it's like this takes place in you know medieval England and uh, and he's a spy. Yeah, would be yeah. Um, I do have one email. Oh, it's over a month old now because we have not recorded in forever. Um. It is from our cousin, Rachel, who you all heard in our Disneyland episode. Um, And she is responding to a conversation we had in our Lady and the Tramp episode. Um, We talked a little bit about our family's uh, peculiar, like, gift situation and our mom just, like, being very specific of things that she wants for Christmas. Um, And so Rachel's mom, Eva, is our mom's sister. Um, and this is what Rachel has to say about her, their mom um, in Christmas time. Um, last year for Christmas, Luke and I both got Julie Andrews's autobiographies for mom because she loves Julie Andrews. She opened them up and was so confused. I believe her exact words were, I mean, I like Julie Andrews' movies, but I don't know if I want to read about her. <laughs> she has yet to read either book. That- Are they two separate books about yeah i think so i think they're two separate autobiographies um dad also bought her a new watch after hers broke dad wears that watch now (laughs) brennan which is rachel's fiance um bought her some dark chocolate at walgreens which was the only gift she liked good job brennan yep (laughs) yours and disney rachel (laughs) um i have something to add okay i've been saving and not telling you about um, but when I was home a couple weeks ago, mom was talking about our old yeller episode and she said, I can't believe you didn't talk about our safe word. And I said, what? And she said that as a family, we decided that if anybody ever like was going to 
kidnap us or, or we thought I was like if, if a different person than other than mom or dad if somebody was that was not planned picked us up from school like yeah it was like a family friend the family safe word was hydrophobia <laughs> I yeah. think it was actually hydrophobia <laughs> to be pronounced in that way well, I have vague vague memories of that um I was I was thinking about this concept like two weeks ago while picking up the kids I nanny from school um, and thinking back on like pre-COVID of like the times when like other parents that I knew from the school would text me and say like, I'm running behind. Can you pick, because they're all neighbors, like, can you pick up so-and-so and take him? And and we're always kind of being like, yeah, sure. And then I'd roll my window and be like, hey, uh, whatever, get in the get car. In. Yeah. And I, every time I'm like, oh, do families like not do these code words anymore? And I was thinking again about it two weeks ago. And I was like, I know we had one, but I could not tell you now what it is. So there you go. It was all right. It was hydrophobia. That's the wolf family. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, dad came up with that. That's mom couldn't talk him out of it what was the game nobody would guess it nobody would guess it um I remember when you oh that's what it was when you came home from school and you guys were learning about bats and you played the echolocation game Mm -hmm. where the bat would say echo 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 and we were supposed to say tree 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 and dad really got into that and then made us play Sacagawea like yeah. Marco Polo in the van yeah that it makes sense <laughs> you'd be like I'll say Saka you say Joia and we would play and then he would just hit us <laughs> on long car trips we always played it was so stupid yep. yep but I but I think that coming up with hydrophobia as our safe word probably was on one of those trips where like we went on a weird historical rabbit hole yes absolutely <laughs> um, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, that's uh, family right there. Um. So if you had a weird family code word, um, or if you just have any questions or comments on this week's episode, you can email us at wolfdisneypodcast at gmail We're also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at wolfdisneypod. Um, I want to see your weird museum pictures now. Um, sources? Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. All right. My sources are the American Kennel Club, Wikipedia, um, D23 for my Annette Funicello, Mental Floss for Mickey Mouse Club Facts, and um, mouseplanet.com. Um, mine were Wikipedia and the essay The Light and the Forest is Love Cold War Masculinity and the Disney Adventure Boys by Jeffrey P. Dennis which I accessed through uh, the Journal of American Popular Culture called Americana All right, so we will be back next week with a Toby Tyler just Toby Tyler, not a Toby Tyler. I didn't say a Toby Tyler. You said a uh, Toby Tyler. So we'll be back said. next week with Toby Tyler. This has been Wolf Disney. Thanks for listening.
Our theme song is Lamb and Wolf by Poddington Bear. See you next week. Hold, hold the presses. Okay. I just found an article called The Dog Who Was the Shaggy Dog. Uh, I'm just trying to see who, who trained him. Okay. So it was not the same family who did. What I said. I mean, like, we named literally every dog that family trained. Yeah, I guess that probably would have shown up. Um, okay, but I'm going to tell you how they got the dog to drive the car. You ready? Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, one of the key sing- scenes was Shaggy driving a Ford hot rod. Training began with making Sam the dog comfortable in a wheelbarrow with the long hair held out of his eyes by rubber bands so that he could see clearly. Um, Over a period of days, the dog adjusted to not only sitting in the wheelbarrow, but being moved slowly around as he sat in it over bumpy ground, different speeds, steep grades, tight circles, and more. Then Sam was brought to the Disney studio to go through the same exercises on a flat on a flat, which is a four-wheel platform used for moving heavy items from the set decorating department to the sound stages. There was a metal, a raised metal rail at each end used for pushing or pulling the flat, so Sam could learn to place his front paws on a designated spot. Um, Sam enjoyed daily tours around the lot in this way. <laughs> um, and apparently the Disney Studio employees enjoyed seeing the happy dog as well. And so it sounds like they just moved him around. Um, then they had to make a bucket seat for the hot rod that contoured to his large rear end. Because <laughs> he does have a big old butt. Um, to add to his stability, hair-covered mittens were laced to the steering wheel for him to slide in his paws. Oh, man. Uh, They made a seatbelt for him, which was also covered with hair to blend in with his own fur. Stuntman Carrie Laughlin was the driver in the hot rod that was a blind drive car. Metal was cut away under the dashboard and right through the hood on the right side so that he would be able to see the road. For night shooting, a series of lights on the right-hand side of the road was used for the driver to follow and stay on the road. Um, So it sounds like he was driving on the right side. You just couldn't see him. Gotcha. Um, the wheels were synchronized. And so when it turned, when Laughlin, Lofton turned his wheel, Sam's wheel would turn and it looked like Sam was moving the wheel. Hmm. It's pretty cool. That's cool. See, aren't you glad I did some extra research here? Yeah. Oh, and um, so there's a couple scenes that we talked about where you had the dog, we, Obviously, it wasn't um, the dog. It was a person dressed as a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that was um, Johnny Kirk, the younger brother of Tommy Kirk. He played all the dog roles. Interesting. Yeah. So cool. Mouseplanet.com for that source. <laughs>